no net worth, no stable career. I'm in school. No one, no bank is going to lend me a mortgage. Right. Our banking system is very different from the States. It's very, very strict over here. So there was no way I was going to do that. You're listening to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show, a podcast that discusses the intricacies of real estate investing with your host, Marcus E. Maloney. Marcus is a real estate investor best known for being the equity king. He's been awarded that moniker because he and his team find amazing real estate deals. He will be talking with investors who have done some transformational things in the real estate industry. They'll discuss their process, their strategies, and how their investments transform their lives and the communities they invest in. We welcome you to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show. Hello, welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the We Love Equity Real Estate Show. I hope you guys are having an awesome day, an awesome month, and an awesome year. Well, as always, I always like to bring a special guest that you guys can learn from, listen to, and then eventually take action on the content that he or she shares. Well, today I have Matthew Ablican. He's from our brothers to the north from Canada. Uh, he hails from um, Ontario, Toronto area. So he's going to share with us his background, how he got started in real estate, what he's doing, and how he's helping this community um, supersede what other areas and other real estate investment clubs are doing. So Matthew, man, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thank you, Marcus. Thanks for having me. I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing great, doing great, man. Really excited to have you on the show. Um, I followed you on YouTube and see what you're doing up there. And I just really thought it would be beneficial to have you speak to the We Love Equity audience. So uh, with no further delay, man, kind of give us your background, how you got started. Uh, first of all, what did you do before real estate? Yeah, for sure. And first of all, we love equity. So there we go. Yeah, it's a suitable <laughs> name for the show. We love equity. Equity is what's taken my life to a different level. And I'm very transparent. I'll share everything. Um, so that's kudos to you. Keep on creating the content. It's not easy, but um, you know, it's, it's very informative. If, if people had this stuff 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, like, don't you agree, Marcus, your life would be totally different, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Without a doubt, man. Yeah. So a little bit about uh, my background. Uh, my parents came to this country from Iraq, from the Middle East in the mid 80s. They actually met here, but they escaped their country because there's you know a lot of religious persecutions going on over there in that part of the world. And they wanted to have a better life. So they met here at a local church, but they came from the same place. So very similar stories in how they came to Canada. And my brother and I were born here in Toronto. So we're the first of our family uh, you know, I don't want to call us the pioneers because I feel like that's insulting my parents' generation because their troubles and struggles are not our troubles and struggles. We, we, we have it pretty easy. We, we get e we use e-signatures and we use email. Yeah, <laughs> we got phones. It's not a big deal. But nonetheless, my parents became entrepreneurs out of sh out of pure necessity. Their entrepreneurship is not was not the cool thing that it is today. And, and people think it's this, you know, cool thing to do. Everybody wants to be an entrepreneur, but my mm -hmm. parents had to become entrepreneurs because their credentials, their education did not transfer over, over here. So they're, they were teachers back home. They couldn't be teachers over here and they didn't know English. It, it was a different language for them. So 
They became entrepreneurs, opened up coffee shops, opened up convenience stores, stuff that has nothing to do with what we're doing today. They finally landed one convenience store that was surrounded by five different multifamily apartment buildings. We're talking wow. 25 stories plus. And they, they were the one convenience store located underneath one of the buildings that facilitated basically everything for those buildings. So they were able to manage that. They, they built a good life out of that. They, they helped, obviously, um, they helped us in the sense of providing shelter. They, they had a car. They had employment. They never forced us to go to work to pay their bills, but they mm -hmm. forced us to go to work. <laughs> and there you go. My first job, I was 14 years old. So I started working at places like Chuck E. Cheese, places like uh, Johnny Rockets. You guys have that in the States. We don't have it yep. here anymore. Uh, old fashioned diner, flipping burgers, and then waiting tables, and then working at another place called Lucky Strikes, which is like a bowling alley. Bowling alley. Yep. Yeah. You see, you know, about yep. American yep. companies. So America's always been, you know, has a special place in my heart. But um, I started working those jobs part time. And then in high school, I was always selling things like hair straighteners and dog tags and, and backpacks and things like that. I always had a connection because when I worked at Johnny Rockets or Lucky Strikes, it was in one of the big outlet malls that we have here. So a lot of people would come in to get food or whatever, and I would network with them and they'd work at okay. a different store and I'd get discounts. And I, I would take that to high school and I used to have two lockers in high school and I would use one of them for all the... Um, all the products and, and things like that. And then one of them was for my books. So back I, then, but nowadays they would call that a pop-up shop. So <laughs> you had a pop-up yeah. shop in high yeah. school. My pop-up shop was a, a, a big black garbage bag <laughs> filled with things. And after school, you had to be careful because obviously you don't want, you don't want to encourage that and, and yep. someone bettering themselves in our educational system. So I, I was in school and, and then I went to university because um, my, where I come from, where my parents come from, if you go to university, it's actually respected. Yep. And you, it is a higher level of education. So in Iraq, the educational system is actually better than the education system we have here um, at the time. So there was this thing that my parents said, you want to go become a mechanic? You want to work on cars? You want to do, because that was one of the things I wanted to do. You're going to go to university first. And once you finish university, you could go do whatever it is you want to do. So I hated school. I was always a C student. I, I didn't care. I, I, you know, my teacher used to tell other students that I was going to end up bagging his wife's groceries at no frills or her makeup at wow. shoppers drug mart, which is like your Walgreens. And, you know, there was a lot of things that I, I hated about the, the educational system. Funny enough, I went to teacher's college here in university <laughs> and I used to work in three different schools just as a volunteer. We had to I never applied to the school boards once I graduated because real estate became a part of my life from the age of 19 years old. And I, I still have my degrees there in my office on the other side of this uh, boardroom that I'm in. And, you know, I always jokingly tell people it's kind of a joke, but it's not. I say there's 50,000 bucks uh, in these two frames over here. This piece of paper is worth 50,000 bucks. Yep. Now, when I was 19, I bought my first condo, but I was able to do that using part of my uh, bursary that was given to me through my student loan and part of the savings I had from working at these restaurants. I had this light bulb moment at 17 years old when I was in my first year at York. I said, how are people, you know, doing this? How are they paying? How are they living life? And I'm working two jobs and I have, I'm in this degree and, and I have no social life and I'm barely getting by. And the concept that I learned 
was making your money work for you and making money while you sleep. And Absolutely. that was, that was new to me. Uh, again, no family, no background, no investments, nothing. So I, I started researching real estate and obviously the biggest hurdle was I have no net worth, no stable career. I'm in school. No one, no bank is going to lend me a mortgage. Right. Our banking system is very different from the States. It's very, very strict over here. So there was no way I was going to do that. But one thing we have going for us is something called pre-construction real estate, where you buy real estate off of the floor plan because the builder is going to build the structure uh, whenever that time comes. So if you buy an apartment building, like a condominium, um, if it's brand new, depending on the height of that building, it's going to take anywhere from three to five, six years to construct. But when you buy it, you don't need a mortgage. You don't, you don't need the full down payment. And our government protects all of our money in case um, the project gets canceled. Or, wow. Yeah, it's all protected because the money's, the builder can't actually touch your deposit money. They have to hold it in trust, in a trust account with a different mm -hmm. lawyer office. So it's very protected. So when I learned this concept, I said, man, I could get in. All I needed was 15,000 bucks at the time. And I had that. And I didn't okay. even need that for six months until after I signed. So I said, all right, I got this money. I'm going to make that decision. I did that. And then I got into real estate sales. I became licensed. And I okay. said, whatever I'm going to earn, I'm going to put into my portfolio. Now, fast forward that I was 19 at my first property. Fast forward that 11 years later, I'm 30 years old. And I still own that same property. And I've owned everything that I've bought. I have 24 different properties. And the only property I ever sold was the second one I bought. I sold it this year in 2022 because my wife and I bought our, our forever home. So I just wanted to free up some capital. Otherwise, I've kept it. I've built the equity and we're teaching people how to build equity and, and build their net worth through real estate. And that's the, that's the smart thing. Um, you, you gave us a lot there. Um, yes. But one of the things that I do want to say that's very, very smart is that you kept everything that you purchased, you know, yes. hindsight is 2020. I wish I would have kept everything that I flipped, purchased, wholesaled, or, you know, structured some creative deal on. I wish I would have kept it because now I'd be a lot further with my net worth than where I am right now. I'm not in a bad position, but you know, naturally you could always feel you could do better. So sure. going back when you were 17 and you, you found out about, hey, I can buy this condominium. Did, did you tell anybody? Did anybody think you were crazy? <laughs> kind of what, what was, what's the story there? Yeah, uh, two, only two people knew. And the first one was my mom because my dad didn't really care. But my okay. mom was more like the money person. She was very like, you know, you got to save what, what you're, you're earning and you got to build your bank account and let it grow and you do it the right way. So it's going to be blessed and all these things. Mm -hmm. And um, the reason why was because when they left, I mean, they, they locked their door, left all their furniture back home and left the country. They couldn't, they couldn't wow. make it known that they were leaving. It was communist, right? It was a communist right, right. country, right? Under Saddam Hussein's regime. Mm -hmm. So they had to escape. They literally were refugees, not even immigrants. Mm. So when, when we're talking what's going on right now in the world, yeah, well, our family's been through that. Right, right. And, you know, there's people still going through that. So when they lost everything, even their family photos, they had to burn them in case somebody caught them along the way and would trace back their family members who were still there and they'd kill them. So mm -hmm. yeah, they, they, 
so my mom was very like, keep what you have, you know, keep what you have and, and, and don't lose it, hang on to it. So when I first showed her a particular project that I found, the guy that was um, the realtor that I knew at the time, I said to him, I said, give me some more information about this project, which he did, showed it to my mom. And he met with my mom and it's not like she was helping me financially, but just out of respect to her, right, I, right. I wanted to, you know, bring that, involve her and, and bring that to the house. She, when he left, she said, everything sounds great, but just keep your savings. Don't, don't do that. Don't invest. So a month later, I didn't buy the property. A month later, the realtor calls me and says, Hey, the prices went up 20 grand. You missed out. And wow. for me, that was everything to me because yeah. I only was going to invest 15. So that's, a, that's more than hundred percent ROI, 125% ROI. And I, I literally said to my, myself, I go, she wants the best for me, my mom, but she doesn't understand these things that I'm learning. Exactly. Exactly. So now either I'm going to listen to her and fall back or I'm going to make a choice and move forward and change the whole trajectory of this. And that's what I did. So I found another project they didn't tell the, the realtor about it at the time. He was a buddy of mine anyway. He wasn't, he wasn't mm -hmm. helping me. I was just giving him the project and he was getting info for me. But I found this project that I did end up buying at and I ended up joining the company that sold the project to me. So I got a lot of experience before I launched Millennial's Choice. But when I came home and I bought the condo, I told my mom, she freaked uh -huh. out. She, I've never like, she got so <laughs> mad. And I'm like, so why are you mad? I go, just let's analyze. What, why are you mad? And she said, well, you're going to move out and this and that. So she had this fear of losing me. Now, losing right? you. Yeah. Yeah. So as I got older, I learned that and realized that and did some self-awareness. And obviously my relationship with my parents right now, thank God is great. But good, good. At, yeah, at the time they didn't understand it. Now I, I drive them to a piece of land that I bought and I say, look, this is what's going to be there and blah, blah, blah. And my parents... They, they end up becoming more motivated than I am. They're yeah, like, how can, how can we get involved? Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so that's my story. The second person I told was my best friend who went home and told his parents. His dad called my dad for some reason. I, I Till this day, I don't understand why. <laughs> and said, why is your son buying a condo? You shouldn't purchase a condo. You shouldn't live on his own, blah, 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 blah. All these things. And yeah. from that point on, I hustled in silence. Yeah. And you know what? Sometimes the, like you said, the older generations, they want what's best for you, but they have a limited scope and knowledge of, you know, investments at some, sometimes. And now the roles have reversed. Now they want to know, how can I do what you're doing, Matthew? How can I get in with you when before, you know, it was the wrong thing to do. So tell me, so you got this condo at 17, um, you lived in it. And what was that, what was that next acquisition? Because now everybody thinks, you know, Hey, this young kid out here, he went and bought a condo, which I'm pretty sure some of them probably didn't own property. were probably renting or something like that. What was next for you after that? Because that's, that's a big step at 17 years old. Yeah. So 17, 18, I started learning and then 19, I pulled that trigger. Okay, I, gotcha. So 19 years old, I pulled that trigger. And, and you're absolutely right about our, our parents' generation. They were taught one thing, you, yep. you the, the American dream, right? And I'll say American because we're part of North America. The mm -hmm. American dream, you buy your home and you pay off your mortgage. Yep. And then one day you'll retire off your pension. 
and that's it. So mm -hmm. that was what they were taught. So if you talk about a lot about uh, investments to those people, they, they don't understand it because that's not how they were wired. Right. And right. when you, when you talk, when you talk to them about their property, most of them actually have properties that are free and clear. It's mm -hmm. called, it's called dead equity. Yep. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's in your walls. And guess what? Even if God forbid your home burned down, the insurance company is not actually going to give you what your home is worth. They're just going to pay you what the cost is to rebuild it. If that, if so, that. you know, you got to understand that how the money works and the monetary system that you are a part of and the monetary system that we are a part of in United States, in Canada is very simple. Money is created out of nothing. And the banks take your money and reinvest it. And it's basically money on steroids. And you need to be taking advantage of your equity that's in your homes. For those people that are listening to this or watching this, and you're part of that generation, that's how you help the next generation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And that, that was one of the things that um, me and my brother had a long conversation about because he's very conservative. He's like, yep, I want to get my house on a 15 year mortgage. That way I can pay it off. And then that way I can live free for the rest of my life. And I'm like, but that's not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to make your money work for you. So he's starting to come around, but again, it's that lack of education, that lack of knowledge on what to do with money that keeps people, you know, in a, median income family just yeah. just barely getting by you know have just just enough in order to make it so man i love what you're what you're doing educating your family and the people around you on these on these core principles well you're well you're the guy that's gonna break that those generational i call them generational cur curses yep yeah so you're gonna be that guy right there's always gonna be that guy or that lady that is gonna do it for their family right and there's people that have inspired you along the way that got you to your point. And just to answer your question, what happened next was very simple. My mentor at the time taught me buy one property a year and you're good. That's mm -hmm. all you got to do. And so we have this opportunity with this pre-construction stuff that's going on here that again is taking years to construct. Your money's protected. It's, it's like a win-win situation all around. And I said, you know what? The company that I'm a part of that sold me that condo has first access to these properties because they're the ones that the builder hires to sell and market the project. Mm -hmm. So every time they had access and I knew, okay, this project is going to go up $50,000 uh, next month because th this guy's going to raise the prices. I already know the sales strategy behind it. I'm part of that team now. Okay. Right. Yep. I joined them. So I would start taking advantage of that. So the following year, I bought my, my second property. It was a townhouse in one of our major cities here. And that's the property that I sold earlier this year to buy our dream home. But then every single year, that's what I started doing. Until I became comfortable as a broker, I graduated school. I, I started launching my own businesses and becoming very stable in my career. And I had all this cash flow coming in from my businesses only then did I say, all right, now I'm going to explore looking at a piece of land, or I'm going to explore looking at a single family that's resale that I can get into right away because I have to get a mortgage on it and all those things. Okay. So that pre-built stuff worked well. It was very delayed. It was a delayed gratification, but that's okay. We, we, we who are in the real estate game and stay in the game for a long time understand that it's a long-term game. 
Exactly. And so that's what happened. Uh, what happened next? Okay. So you just you stayed in that vein and just kept buying those pre-construction condos. That's right. So Perfect. it was condos. It was townhomes. Um, it became mainly townhomes and condos. That's where the money was. Because to be honest with you, Marcus, that's what that's what I thought I could afford. Those were the better priced products. I didn't want to jump into a million dollar single family detached because it was like, oh my gosh, it's a million bucks. Right, uh, right. But now those houses are 2 million, 3 million. So it, you start understanding different concepts of the game and, and then you start applying them. And, and even till this day, if there's a good, great opportunity for the pre-construction stuff, I'm still mm -hmm. going to jump into it because it's, it's a no brainer. It's so easy. It's literally so easy to do. We have clients as young as 16 years old who have done that two of them at 16 years old, and then many more at 19 years of age and older. So this whole thing behind affordability and whatnot, I think people just need to educate themselves a little bit more on the different avenues available to them and, and take advantage of those opportunities because what one strategy that worked for you may not work for me. And one strategy that worked for me may not work for you and it's tailored to everybody's needs. But if you're not able to afford your first home for whatever reason, maybe you got to start looking at that differently and maybe start looking at it as an investment and yep. understanding how that works and maybe partnering with somebody or whatever the case may be just to get your foot in the door. Absolutely, man. And, and one of the things that I always like to tell people is, like you said, those relationships, because that's what you basically did was you solidified your relationship with that company. So now you knew, hey, coming in, what's the marketing strategy? What's the sales strategy? So you can get in on the ground level entry-level pricing, knowing that in the next month, it's going to go up 20 grand or 30 grand, 40 grand. So now you're building in baked in equity, exactly. you know, before the property is even finished and completed. And what do we say on this show? We love, we love equity. equity. That's right. <laughs> that, that was my whole goal. My goal was to build equity. My goal was not cash flow um, at the time, because I was still trying to establish my cash flow at work and career and school. So I said, you know what? I need time. And that's what this thing gave me. Pre-construction real estate gave me time because it takes so long to build. We have so much red tape in our cities mm -hmm. and in our provinces and from the federal government. Like that's something that I don't think you guys really face so much of in the States, but we have so much of that. It's, it's, it really takes a lot out of builders and developers and projects that, you know, they, it takes four to five years to build actually took the builder probably 10 years to 12 years to probably just even develop on, on the back end before they even went to market. So it gotcha. gave us a really good opportunity. And, and you know what? The fundamentals 11 years later are still the same. The only thing that's changed is the price. Yep. Yep. And, and kind of what you were talking about piggybacking off of the builders, uh, being a broker, what are you guys seeing in your market as far as what's going on with, with building and financing to finish projects? So a lot of builders have come out and delayed any new housing starts and okay. they've just, they've just wanted to wait because, because of the supply chain issues caused by the pandemic or whatever, a lot of builders, they can't price out their projects properly. So mm -hmm. what'll, what'll happen is they'll go to market. They're finally ready to market and sell the project. And then after a certain number of sales is achieved, which in a condo building, as an example, 70% of the building on average needs to have been sold. Once it's sold, only then will our banks give them the money to build. 
Gotcha. Okay. So the, the problem in this market where there's so much uncertainty and, and the rates are going up similar to what you guys are experiencing, mm-hmm. the demand has dropped. And because the demand has dropped, the builders are taking longer to sell their projects. Now, the problem with that is if it takes a long enough time to sell and then they go to the construction lenders to get the financing, well, the price that they thought they were going to build this thing at is no longer that price. It's probably more expensive because construction costs keep going up. And that project might become a dud and it might not work out and they might cancel it. Now you get your money back as an investor, but you don't want to go through that opportunity cost, right? And and that's really what it is. Um, So that's what we're seeing on the new home side of things that a lot of builders have halted just the start of any kind of new sales and marketing of projects, which we in Ontario have a major, major supply issue. So our government has said, over the next 10 years, we need 1.5 million homes to meet the demand of, of our of wow. our people. And we don't even build 40,000 units a year. So really? they're, wow. yeah, we don't, we don't even build that much. So they're trying to encourage all this housing. And because Canada is very immigrant friendly, it's built, it's built off of immigrants, basically. Um, mm-hmm. We're always bringing immigrants. And uh, if we bring like a million or 2 million immigrants, like 400, to 500,000 of them are coming to Ontario because we're the hub. Wow. We're, you know, we're, wow. we're the hub, right? So they need a place to live, right? And that's that's the utility that real estate offers you. And the interesting thing about what we're seeing in our particular market is supply is actually down year over year from August, 2021 to August, 2022. Supply is actually down. And we started raising rates March of 2022. So from March till now, six months, almost seven have gone by and we've seen demand come down. But mm-hmm. but from July to August, we saw demand come back up a little bit. So I think people okay. are just going to realize the sky's not falling. And uh, we've been very used to cheap money over the last couple of years because yeah. of the pandemic and stimulus and things like that. But now the government's trying to pull back on inflation for all this money that they printed by raising rates. I think the reality is where we have a new level of prices and inflation's here to stay for for a little while longer and i think the the rates at the way the way they are and, and the future rate hikes that are coming that have been signaled by our central banks i think that's going to kind of be the threshold like we're going to be there for for a little bit yeah. and i think if you're in real estate i think the way you position yourself is you buy the best properties in the best locations with strong rental markets and you're going to see the 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 price of rents skyrocket because in a recession when people can't afford homes or people still need a place to live they're going to rent and the demand mm-hmm. for rent is going to increase we're starting to see that now in toronto absolutely and and you make a, a very valid point you know because that's some of the things that we're seeing here in the states is where you know for for a while it was demand was just very, very low, although demand is definitely not where it was, you know, eight months ago, but it's picking back up because people now are starting to see that this is going to be the norm. And yet I need to get in while I need to get in. So at 6% interest rates, that's still cheaper than what it was, you know, years ago when average interest rate was 12, 13%. So like you said, people were just used to the cheap money, three, 4%. And now they got sticker shock when they saw 6%. But by the time they do the math, they'll understand that that interest rate is still not high compared to what it used to be. 
Yeah, or even even the idea of, uh, you know, Marcus, everybody wants to wait for this massive correction to happen. Yeah. And it's like, well, if in our market, if we saw a 40% correction today, which is devastating, mm-hmm. all right, you're probably near the pre-pandemic levels. Like our market's insane. So yeah. what's the point of that? Like at the end of the day, if you're, if you're going to buy now or you're going to buy three years ago, like just get in. Just and, get in. And then there's a lot of, you know, what we love real estate. And I think you'll agree with this. And, you know, our boy Grant Cardone from the States agrees with this. And Ken McIlroy and all these different guys and Robert mm-hmm. Kiyosaki is, be, is the tax benefits that you get. Yep. And again, that's why I said earlier, maybe you got to look at this a little bit differently if you're listening to this and you're kind of feeling like you're never going to buy your first home. Maybe you got to step back a little bit and maybe buy your first investment. There's nothing wrong with that. And, and you approach it that way and you build equity. And then when you become comfortable, then you buy your home. Yep. A, a lo- if that's what you want to do, if that's still your goal, a lot of people talk about renting where they live. Listen, everything, everyone's situation is different. So maybe you got to look at that because even if prices were to come down a little bit, the tax benefits that you get and the tax credits that you get is, is phenomenal. You won't find that by buying paper in terms of stock or bonds or mutual funds. You won't find that in cryptocurrency. And there's really no utility for those things. The utility true, true. comes with real estate. You need a place to live. People need a place to congregate, You know, whether it's a church or mosque or whatever. And then people need a place to get together for business-related reasons. I'm in a piece of real estate right now that's facilitating our business. I bought this during the pandemic for a steal, a steal. Mm-hmm. The lights were off. It was under power of sale. So that now's the time. Take now's advantage the time of time to buy. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So quick question for you, uh, Matthew. So we're starting to see um, a spike and increase in adjustable rate mortgages. Um, can you speak on that? Is that something that you guys are seeing? And if so, What's your take on that? So we have something called the mortgage stress test. It was introduced in 2018. And the way that that works is whatever rate that you are getting from the bank, when you qualify for the mortgage, you have to qualify at 2% on top of that rate or what the government states is what's called a qualifying rate, Mm -hmm. whichever one's higher. So in this case, the qualifying rate is about five and a half percent. The rates that we're getting though, even on the adjustable rate mortgages, we call them variable rate mortgages, yep. right? They're, they're at 5%. So the way they do it is they tack on 2% on the five. So you actually qualify at 7%. And they gotcha. do that to mitigate the market risks to make sure that people can handle if the rates do go up. Uh, by that much, it can handle the difference in payments. So we've had that since 2018. So I, I always argue that our market is actually quite resilient because if people bought um, a property in 2018, we can lock our mortgages in for five years, but they're amortized over 25 to 30 years. It's very different from you guys in the States. So our contract is kind of like a phone contract. The rate is only good for the five years, or you could choose three years, four years, two years, right. one year. Nobody ever goes for the seven or 10 because the rates are extremely high. So if that was done in 2018, meaning five years later, that's the most popular product that's happening next year. Those mortgages are coming up for renewals. So our market's really going to see challenges probably next year when okay. those rates are going to be a lot, they're going to be a lot higher now um, because 
we're actually touching the 2020, so 2018 interest rates now. So if there's any further increases, they're going to be higher than that time. So we'll okay. see the pains of that uh, manifest themselves next year. So what do I think about that? Mm -hmm. our, our adjustable rate mortgages have actually been um, very, very good investments, I would call them, for the real estate buyers over the last maybe 10, 20 years. And they've been really, really good for them. A lot of people are getting into them now because it's lower than our fixed rates. So it's easier to qualify for it. And they always have the option to lock in after they close the deal, which is kind of like a little loophole. People are okay. getting in, they're, they're able to qualify and then they lock it in. I've always went fixed and it, it's been to my detriment early on because I was getting fixed rates at 2%, but then the adjustable rates were at like one and a quarter. Wow. However, yeah, it was, it was crazy. It's but crazy. however, now those all my portfolio portfolio that has fixed rates, I'm coming out way ahead. So mm -hmm. it's it's a balance. It's kind of like I always tell our clients, like, what is it that you prefer? Do you prefer a, a adjustable rate mortgage where the payment will change? Or do you prefer something where the payment's fixed, but maybe when the rates go up, you'll pay more interest than principal? Or do you not want to worry about any of that for five years? And do you want to just lock in your rate? Your payment will never change for five years. And you just make those payments. You're going to pay a little bit more from what it looks like if you went adjustable. So it, it's just people's preferences. I like to sleep well at night mm -hmm. and I go for fixed rate. Um, but again, I have like, for example, one property next year, it's coming up for renewal and the rate's going to probably double. And wow. it's not, it's not a fun feeling. It's not a fun mm -hmm. feeling, but then I look at my other portfolio. I'm like, I just balance it against the portfolio balance and, it, yep. and I'm winning. Yep. So uh, you, one concept I'm sure you'll know, cause you do volume is, is as you grow, you guys, for those listening here, as you grow and you buy more than one property, you start scaling, it actually becomes less riskier mm -hmm. because now you can balance everything against each other. So one property is cash flowing you, you know, 500 bucks a month. The other one, maybe you break even on. So when you do the math, you're, you're actually breaking even or you're making 250, yeah, 250 bucks on, property, bucks, on yeah. property. Yeah. So it, it's just a numbers game and you got to understand it. It's so simple that sometimes it eludes people, but everyone is different and, and you got to just kind of figure out what works best for you. Okay. Well, let's, let's take a brief break here. Word from our sponsors. Uh, and then when we come back, we want to talk about your portfolio, your rentals, how you're structuring everything. So let's sure. take a brief break here from word from our sponsors and we'll be right back. Finding real estate deals can be a challenge, but with Batch Leads, it doesn't have to be. Batch Leads has created a one-stop solution for all your real estate needs. So you can find more sellers, close more deals, and maximize revenue. Batch Leads offers a comprehensive suite of lead-generating tools that cover text messaging, skip tracing, finding comps, and much more. Batch Leads help you simplify, manage, and organize all your data in one place. Batch will help you stack your lists and identify properties that appear on multiple lists and have multiple distress indicators. These sellers are likely to be highly motivated and eager to sell. Get the most powerful and complete lead generation platform in the industry. Locate sellers, buyers, and lenders nationwide in seconds. Go to batchlead.io and use promo code WELOVEEQUITY. Are you tired of seeing others becoming successful real estate investors and you just don't know where to start? 
You see all the Instagram posts of others being successful. You see the Facebook ads guaranteeing instant success. You look at tons of YouTube videos and you even attend seminars just to be tricked into 10, 20, or even $30,000 courses. Well, with the Deal Finders Club, my husband is here to change things for you. Have you said to yourself, I'm deadly afraid to talk to sellers and I have no confidence. I don't know where to find motivated sellers. I don't know where to get a contract from. I don't know how much to offer the seller, let alone where I'm going to get the money from to close the deal. Well, in the Deal Finders Club, Marcus and his partner, Mike, are going to show you how to overcome all those challenges and more. Find out how by going to azdfc.com. That's azdfc.com. We'll see you inside. All right, guys, we are back with, back with Matthew, and we're talking about um, he's a broker, mortgage broker, real estate broker, and we're talking about just how he structured his portfolio and how he got started. So, uh, Matthew, kind of going, because you said you're, you're up to, what, 24 units now, right? Yes. Okay. So we know you you started with the uh, pre-construction and you yes. did the pre-construction. What's what's next for you and what are you doing right now with those with those assets that you have in your portfolio? So all of them are are rental properties, with the exception of a couple pieces of land that are vacant pieces of land. And the retail unit we're in now, we use it as our office. And then I have my primary residence. But how I structured it was that first condo, when I graduated university, I did a mortgage refinance. I did an equity takeout. And when I bought it, it was in 2012. So we just came out of that, you know, financial crisis and whatever happens mm -hmm. in, in, you know, in the United States, it impacts us too. Right. And so the property values when I bought it and then I graduated from university had not appreciated as much that, that they've done now, but I had enough to pay back my tuition. Okay. So yeah. I, I graduated with zero student loan. Wow. That's, that's amazing. And I never paid a penny in interest because it would constantly be uh, paid off every year. And then you reapply for it. So I never paid a penny in interest, but then if you were in school, it, it gets deferred. And then six months later, you start accumulating interest. So that's what I did. So I cleared out my bad debt. And that's very okay. important because it frees up your cash flow. Then the second property, the townhouse when that was built, that one saw a much larger jump in price. So I ended up refinancing that. So I re I've probably just in the last 11 years, I've probably done a solid 15 to 20 refinances. Okay. Like, like the biggest thing on my credit is the fact that I have too many credit checks. So credit checks, right. From them refinancing. <laughs> and that, and that's okay. You know, my score is still great and everything's yep. still great. And it's a thick mature file, which is what they want to see. Um, but nonetheless, I started refinancing. And when I would refinance, I would keep buying. I would keep buying. So then the third opportunity that came my way was another condo project in the city in Toronto. And I bought two units there because the deposit, the way to pay that was a thousand bucks a month for three years. So $12,000 a year, three years, okay. 36,000. You could, you could do that working at McDonald's. Right. Like, let's, let's be real. 12 grand a year. Come on. You could find that. Yep. And so I did that. Those ones were, those ones took me to a whole different level because by the time they were ready in four years, the property value had doubled, but I never paid 200 K 300 K for the condo. I paid 36,000. So wow. the ROI is, is in the hundreds, 
of percentages. So that's what I started doing. I would refinance, I would keep buying. And then as my business really started to take off, and now we have a team of people that help our clients, which enables me to be on these podcasts. Um, I started generating more cash flow. Then I saw a piece of land that I really liked. Boom, I bought that. Or I have a lot of connections with wholesalers. They brought me off market deals. We started doing single family deals that started cash flowing from day one. And, okay. and a lot of them were fixer uppers, which is great. I have a construction team that we partner with and we do deals with. So they would fix it up and I would property manage and do all that. So there's different joint ventures that agreements that we put together. Um, and yeah, basically I took advantage of any opportunity that came my way through refinancing until I became very, very comfortable with the cash flow that was coming in. And I said, okay, my primary residence, the equity is, is debt equity, but nonetheless, I'm paying for it. So I don't need to refinance that one. Leave right, that right. there. That's coming out of my pocket. That's a liability every single month. But mm -hmm. all these other properties, refinance. Take your, take your equity out of the game. And all of a sudden, you're starting to earn infinite returns because now yeah. there's no skin in the game and somebody else is paying off the debt. Exactly. And so, so that's what I've done. And um, Marcus, I'm still buying, you know, unfortunately, my offer on a, on a commercial retail strip plaza was rejected this morning. And, <laughs> and you know, what's, what's funny is I was over, we're overpaying. My group and I are overpaying by a million bucks, a million wow. bucks. Wow. And they're like, we, we don't want to do the deal. And I'm like, all right. I'm like, come back to me. I'm your buyer. Come back yep, to me yep. when, you know, you don't sell it. When you don't have anything else and I offer you a million bucks less than what I it, offered you the first time. <laughs> exactly. But that particular property, I already spoke with a city planner and we were going through the process of how much can I convert this? How many units can I get if I convert this plaza into a multifamily building? If I built, if I go into the construction route and I build it. And mm -hmm. so we were already on board to get 40 to 50 units. Uh, my goal would have been to now assemble a few other properties around this property, okay. make, make a bigger parcel of land and maybe get a hundred units. So to answer your question, the route that I want to go now is it's going to, it's a little bit bittersweet because I'm going to have to maybe sell some of these uh, earlier pre-construction stuff that I did. Maybe not the first one, because I am sentimental about that one, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but sell them to, to really grow and, and scale. So that's, that's the route I want to take. I want to build multifamily or buy good multifamily projects. Okay. Sounds good. Sounds good, man. So in essence, you just bought refinance When you refinance, pulled that money out, bought again, hold it, refinance, pull that money out, go and buy another one, refine. So what I always tell people is when you're playing a long game, when you're doing um, buy and holds and you're building that portfolio, it seems boring. You know, it's not sexy, like fixing and flipping and wholesaling and everything like that, where it's a lot of transactions and it's a lot of moving parts, you yeah. know, but that's where the true wealth is. A lot of fixing flippers and wholesalers, that's why they are doing that. So they can increase their capital so they can start buying uh, for their portfolio. So you guys listening, don't get wrapped up in the transactional, don't get wrapped up in the transactional, um, events of real estate, such as, you know, like I said, wholesaling and fixing and flipping, but your end goal should be able to, should be portfolio. And that all depends on what's your goal, what's your lifestyle, your lifestyle you want 
to be. For me, yes, I've done wholesale, I've done fix and flips, um, and I have a portfolio. Right now, I'm focused on building that portfolio. So whatever money we make from fix and flips and wholesales, we take that, go and put that on a down payment on a new four unit, two unit, single family, whatever, to increase that cash flow. Absolutely. And I'll give you one quick example. So last year, I, I bought a triplex, three units in a downtown core of a, of a major city here. And the guy was trying to sell it for 640000 650000 Old guy, never even put it under a LLC, you guys call it. We call it a, mm-hmm. a corporation. Um, and, and he never did that. It's under his personal name. Never upkept the property. Rents were way below market value. And you know what? He couldn't sell it because summer of last year, we saw this awkward, slow time. And, and just before it really jumped up another 20% here, um, we saw this awkward, slow month. And so we went in there and, and I like to say, we stole that property for $490,000 and we closed the deal three months later at the end of November. So it has not even been one year since I bought that property. I got it appraised a month ago. So now with appraisers, when you, you're trying to do a deal, they're very conservative because yep, yep. they, you know, you pay for them, but they work for the lender and mm-hmm. they want to mitigate the lender's risks as much as possible because there's liability on them and so on and so forth. They appraised it conservatively at 800,000. It's been less wow. than a year. So we did that. One of the units was vacant because that tenant was delinquent. So we said, you got to kick that tenant out and mm-hmm. we want, we want it vacant. So they vacated the space. We rented it out for 1600 bucks, all inclusive. One of the, the other two units were both paying $900 all inclusive. And they're nicer than the one that we're getting for 1600. So, yeah. So one of the tenants, we assumed those two, one of the tenants uh, gave me short notice to want to vacate the property. And I said, no, because ultimately, even though it was to my, you know, my uh, benefit there, you're still running a business and you can't do it just, you know, for, for free. So we ended up working out a deal. She left early. I ended up renting it while she was still there. The tenant didn't move in yet, of course, but I ended up renting it for 1650 within two, three days. Yeah. So thank you. You want to leave early? Appreciate it. I need you to do that. That way we can get, we can increase our ROI on this property. So what we did was when we tied up the deal and I'm just going to open up my calculator. So I have it in front of me, we bought it mm-hmm. at 65% loan to value. Okay. And so, so the lender gave us a mortgage for about 318,000. Now, when we refinanced it with the same lender with zero penalties with, within the year, wow. we refinanced it. I managed to get them to give me 70% of 800,000. So that's a mortgage of 560,000. Now you subtract that by the 3185, which is my initial mortgage. I just got an equity takeout tax free in less than a year for $241,500. So yeah. like and guess what? Even though the rates doubled, my interest rate actually doubled because when I bought it we had the low rates. Right, the lower rates. Yeah. My interest rate doubled, but because of the rents on that unit that I'm getting now, 1650 and 1600, and the guy upstairs is paying 900, I'm not paying out of pocket. pocket if I am, right. it's 50 bucks or 100 bucks. But hey, I'll take that all day yeah. for getting a quarter million dollars quarter million. tax yeah. free. And now, once the guy upstairs leaves, 
that unit's going to go for 1600, 1700. Yeah. And boom, you're cash flowing again. So that's what we do all day long. That's what we want to do. We love equity. (laughs) There you go. And and that's, and that's the thing, guys, You're, you're listening, Matthew just really broke it down. You know, sometimes you have to understand what you're putting your money towards. So it may seem like a risk at first, but you know, with market conditions and how you structure properties and how you structure the deals, you know, it can be a win-win, you know, for you in the long run. So I'm pretty sure you got that, you know, quarter million dollars. Now you can put that money to work and go and buy another asset and do it all over again. So we're um, literally, we're literally Marcus. We can't find deals. We literally cannot find deals. There is no inventory and the inventory that's there sucks. Right. Right. We, We can't find deals. But guess what? The market always changes. So now you're in a position to wait for that shift. And now you can pounce and go and get some things. Yes, that's right. All right, Matthew, we are going to put you on the hot seat. We're going to put Matthew on a hot seat. So Matthew, starting over, what would you do differently? The one thing I always say is, is because a lot of people say I wouldn't do anything differently because it brought me to where I'm at today. But you know, if you did something differently, maybe you would have been in a better position today. That's my whole thought process mm-hmm. on that. Uh, one thing I would have done is, is not sell myself short, be a little bit more confident early on in my twenties. And maybe instead of buying the condo, you bought the single family detached or something that was a little bit more expensive at the time, felt a little bit more uncomfortable at the time, but only because my ROI would have been greater. Okay. Yeah. And I think Matthew, you're doing pretty good. I mean, you bought, you bought um, a home at 19 years old. Most people can't say that. So give yes. yourself a little bit of credit, man. <laughs> I'm super grateful. I'm super grateful. And, and like you said earlier, it's a matter of just always wanting to improve and yep. not be complacent. That's, that's yep. what it comes down to. You got it. You got it. What do you believe is one characteristic every high producing investor should have? They have to have thick skin. Okay. And, and and I say that because I'm getting a lot of phone calls from the clients that we have that have one investment property, maybe two, and they're, they're worried about the uncertainty in the market. And one uh-huh. client called me on Friday and was like, it's costing us an extra $400 a month to carry this. But even though they've made about 200K in equity and just because mm-hmm. of the rates and the rents haven't caught up yet. And I said to them, so that's about five grand a year. Can you handle that? They're right. Like, yeah. They're like, yeah. When you look at it that way, I go, well, what other way do you look at it? So you got to have thick skin and be able to weather the storm during the bad yeah. times. Because I have a very frank conversation with my clients. I go, if this isn't for you, if you can't stomach this and you were only here for when the times were good, then you're not a real estate investor. Yep. Yep. Nobody who's got billions worth of real estate or millions worth of real estate has ever said, oh yeah, it's been super easy along the way. It's actually quite difficult, quite difficult. Most people don't get that. So have thick skin. Okay. And uh, you got any good book recommendations? I know you you spoke of um, Robert Kiyosaki and you spoke of the real estate radio guys. Give us a good book recommendation. If I have to, if I have to give you one good book, okay, one good book, I have to say it's it's Grant Cardone's 10x. And okay. the reason being is when you read those words, it's truth because he wrote it during the recession, during the 2008, 2009 crisis. And he had, he said he wrote that book just to get out of that recession. And I think he was referring to 
his mindset. Mindset. Yep. Yeah. And so I really, really love that book. I, I, can, I have so many books I can, I can recommend. One thing I want to share with your audience is I do have a book that I just co-authored with a okay. few, few people from the States and I'm going to share the link with you. So one is Kevin Harrington. He's one of the original sharks from Shark Tank. And one is Robert G. Allen. And they oh, promoted Robert it. Allen. Yeah, he's, you know him. Yeah, yeah. And he's really big in the States. And it, they pushed it, made it a bestseller. So I have a chapter in there I co-authored with them. It's called The Six Steps to Financial Freedom. A lot of the stuff we covered today. And if your audience would like a free ebook version of that, they can just visit. Uh, I'll, I'll share the link with you, yep. uh, Marcus. And maybe you can share in the show notes. And if you just visit that link, we'll be happy to get you one of those books. So I, sure. I wrote this, it's six steps. It's very easy. There's no sale here. It's just, okay. it's all good stuff. All right, perfect. I'll make sure guys, I have that information in the show notes. That way you can get that, that ebook. Uh, thank you so much, Matthew. So man, in parting, how can we reach you? How can we get in contact with you if we want additional information? So the best way to get in contact with me, I'm, I'm very easy to get a hold of. If you just Google my name, Matthew Ablican, there's a lot of platforms that we're a part of, but Instagram is, is something I manage on my own at Matthew Ablican. And you can send me a DM. Let me know that you, you uh, found out about me from the We Love Equity show. And, and we'll go from there. We'll connect. So you can easily just, just connect with me on Instagram. All right, guys, you know exactly what to do, man. You got all of the information from Matthew. He's a very successful individual real estate investor, broker, mortgage broker. Get that information. Um, that way you can make use of it. So Matthew, in party, man, give us some words of encouragement to those that are getting, start, getting started or they're facing these fears. They don't understand what's going on in the market. Share us uh, some words of encouragement. So there's always going to be uncertainty in, in life. There's always uncertainty. You don't know where life is going to take you. And unfortunately, the mechanism being the media recently has really um, turned up the heat in terms of a lot of the uh, stuff and content that they're putting out there that they want you to click on because that's how they get paid. Yep. And so if it wasn't the pandemic, it's global warming, it's Russia and Ukraine, it's oil, it's gas, it's real estate now, it's interest rates. You got to just shut out the noise. Mm -hmm. and, and real estate is not meant to be emotional. It's very emotional for people, but it's not meant to be emotional. It, there's a lot of statistics out there with just a few keystrokes on your laptop. You could find out a lot of information about different cities, about your city and what other investors are doing. So I would just block out the noise Look to people that have achieved what you want to achieve and do the best to get around those people and learn from those people. Sometimes the message sounds like it's very uh, catered or tailored or whatnot, or it's cheesy, but that's the truth. Like this is you, every person you speak with that has success in this space says the same thing. And that's because they all share a similar mindset. It's a long-term game. You have to understand that it's not get rich quick you have to understand yep. that you're not going to hit 10,000 rates of 10,000 X on certain deals because it's not Bitcoin and you didn't get in at the very start of it. Yep. It's a long-term game and you're, you're getting into something where they're not making more of it. And one day you might be looking at the one condo or the one house that you're buying now. And it's like, it's, 
Is it worth it? Is it not? Trust me, it's going to be worth mm -hmm. it. And then, and then I don't even, I actually right now sitting here, don't even know how worth it it is because I'm not at the end. So right, one day right. when I have kids, I have a legacy, this and that, we'll see how worth it, how much worth it it was at that time. But you don't even know where it's going to take you. And like, I would have never thought I'm going to be on Marcus's show. I never thought I'm going to be doing podcasts. So just take, have fun, do it, take it. What's the worst that can happen? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Matthew, I want to thank you and I want to appreciate you for being here on the show and providing excellent content and resources for the listeners of the We Love Equity show. So, man, I really want to appreciate you and I look forward to your success and following you more in the future. So thank you so much for your time and we really appreciate you. Thank you, Marcus. Appreciate you having me. All right, guys, that was Matthew Ablican from Ontario, Canada. And I wanted to bring him on because his story is different from most. Most people think that you want to jump out there and you want to go big as quick as possible. And he started with one condo at 19 years old and just refinanced and refinanced and refinanced and built a portfolio of 24 units right now at a young age. So Again, as he said, you don't want to hold on to dead equity. So if you have a property that have equity or rental or something like that, that have equity, you need to put that money to use, use that money to acquire another property. Um, and if you don't have any properties right now, and you're just getting started, go out there and start analyzing deals, speak with realtors, have realtors to sing you opportunities. That way you can train your brain. <clears throat> to start seeing money. That way you can see what's a good deal, what's not a good deal. That's one of the ways that I started. So I just want to encourage you guys to get out there, start small if need to, if need be. Don't be embarrassed if you're starting with, you know, a two bedroom condo, if you're starting with a two bedroom townhouse, guess what? At the end of the day, you're a real estate investor if you're starting right there. So take it from me. I started small. Matthew started small, you can get out there and take a little bit of money and make that money grow. So I love you guys. Thank you so much for being a part of the We Love Equity family, and we will see you on the next show. Thank you for listening to today's show. I picked up some great actionable items, and I'm sure you did as well. If so, let me know. You can always reach me via social media at facebook.com slash Maloney twitter at mrcs maloney and of course ig at mrcs maloney you can also always reach me via email at mmaloney at equityri.com make sure you reach out to our guest as well you can always find their contact information in the show notes below if you have not subscribed already what are you waiting for join the family and while you're at it leave us a five-star review this is how we tell if we're providing you with what you need for your journey. If there's someone you would like for me to interview, or if there's a subject matter you would like for me to cover, please let me know. Finally, if you're looking for additional information about real estate investing, go to equityrealestateblog.com, also youtube.com slash Marcus Maloney. Until next time, family, always enjoy the journey.